0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Coaches Corner University podcast. I'm your host, Paul O'Need, and today I have the pleasure of sitting down with someone that I met this weekend at the Swiss Symposium, Aram Gregorian. Uh, you might know him better as Four Weeks to the Beach on Instagram. Aram is a nutrition coach, host of The Real Coaches Summit, and the co-host of Other Side Lifestyle podcast. We met in the hallway of, this, of the conference because that's where all the good parts of conferences are. And we really hit it off in terms of you know the the themes that we like to discuss and the things that we like to do with our clients. And so I'm really have the pleasure to get to know them today on the podcast. So Aram, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having a total stranger on. Oh Paul, I appreciate it. I know that this is not your norm. I know that you like to vet people more, but I promise you that. Anything that I do on this podcast that you don't like, you can throw out or you can just completely talk shit about me for the rest of the time. We know I'm
0: going to keep it in. I'm going to keep it in. The more, (laughs) you know, the more uh, controversial, the better. I think Instagram is all about fanfare and
1: drama and bullshit. So the more, the merrier, I say. Yeah, I don't. uh, I am. I I do everything I possibly can to position myself as the (laughs) anti-influencer. (laughs) dude okay so okay let's let's talk a little bit about that because
0: i i chatted with matt nickel in the hallway this past weekend and uh for anyone who doesn't know matt nickel in canada and you know more he's getting more well known he's nhl nhl strength coach uh canadian strength and conditioning royalty he sat down for like five minutes pumping my tires which was ridiculous and one of the things that hit home for me was he said The thing that people lack in a lot of these educational environments and on social media is they present information without that information being digestible or actionable for the general population. And that's something that, you know, if I go to your page and there are those text snippet posts, just single image text snippets, really just simplifying these complex things to allow people to be able to follow them. um, It seems like that's your mission.
1: Yeah, man, I've been in this business for 15 years. And what I, when I keep realizing the further and further I get into it is that like, there's nothing new to figure out about training and nutrition. Like we just spent two days with some of arguably the smartest people in our field. Mm-hmm. And even they would probably tell you like all the stuff that they're talking about has been discovered. It's been researched. It's been regurgitated a million times over. So as coaches, we're not saying anything monumentally different or new. We're just saying it with our own voice to our own audience. So my mission I consider myself to be the the distiller of information from the science world into the application world into the general population. So basically, my responsibility is to take stuff that might seem complex because it's been positioned as being complex by other coaches who are trying to sound really, really smart. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like, OK, uh, calorie deficit is is how we lose fat. But also consider that a calorie deficit is not something you want to do forever, nor is it something that you'll be able to psychologically sustain for all that long because willpower responsibilities and humanity will kick in at some point. So it's not really so much as that I give advice versus just giving people food for thought and doing it in the simplest way possible.
0: Right. And I've always said like education is really about getting people to ask better questions. And when you're in a position where you're surrounded by, like you said, the smartest people in the world. I really do believe that when we are seeking education as coaches, we need to seek it from that highest level. We need to know, okay, what is the tip of the spear from an evidence-based approach to get our clients the best results? And that last piece of getting our clients the best results has to start with meeting them where they are. If you try to apply these high-level concepts to that person who is entry-level, you're going to number one, fail. Number two, show them that they have failed. Number three, show them that it's impossible. And now you're, you have the perfect storm of someone who has no confidence in achieving what they want to achieve. And they think they're fucked.
1: That's such a sad reality, man. Like I watch so many people come to me and I work with mostly women, probably 35 plus, not that I have a niche. I mean, I'll work with anybody, but I, I just, for some reason, I speak to that audience very clearly mm-hmm. and they're the most underserved population. I mean, they're the ones that are being sold all the bullshit constantly. They're the ones that are being sold the teas and the potions and the waste trainers and the powders and the keto, this, and the female specific that. And they're being told that their hormones are fucked and that they're never going to be able to lose weight or that it's menopause or that it's their gut health or it's their age. And it's all this other crap that doesn't make any sense when my message is one of empowerment. Like, hey, I understand that it's difficult for you because of hormone fluctuations and because of your history of dieting, blah, 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 but it doesn't mean that you're beyond repair. And my message is one of empowerment because it's like, hey, if I give you the tools that you need, and then I back you up with some support, all you got to do is put the pieces of the puzzle together at your own pace, because that's the thing that we're missing is that we're, everybody has this way of showing up online where it's about presenting the accolades of achievement, like, oh, my client lost 40 pounds in 36 minutes. Well, okay, cool. Like, yeah, the best case scenario with the most compliance possible, the best possible starting point, this is what you can achieve. But how many of our clients are coming to us from that state? They're coming to us relatively disappointed, frustrated, overweight, under-muscled, poor habits, life history of no organization or, or stress resilience tactics or stress coping mechanisms at all. And then we're sitting there being like, well, here, just eat this amount of food and do this exercise and you'll be fine. That doesn't make any sense to me at all.
0: No. And they're, like you said, they're ill-equipped to do that. And one thing that you just said that resonated with me is like, we're, we need to set them up from a position of of empowerment because if you're, if you're going to sit there and say, it's not your hormones, it's not your gut health, you're almost you're almost invalidating them in some sense.
1: Yeah so yes and i i love that devil's advocate point. so and i constantly i my whole thing and i was speaking to this with um with and Hanson over the weekend. what i love about him is that he paints every point of his with context. Mm-hmm. he i mean he the guy is hypertrophy driven 24/7 365 that's all he cares about that's all he delivers as far as information. so every time he says something out of his mouth it's with this sense of hypertrophy being the the target. So when I speak to women I and I tell them, hey, it's not menopause, it's not your hormones, it's not your gut health, it's because I've already looked at their history and I've taken an evaluation of their psychology and determined that you're somebody who's hyper-focused on scale weight. You've never actually understood how to train for for building muscle and changing your physique. You've been jumping in and out of different modalities your whole life. You've relied on diets as your main structure of eating without really ever having any understanding how to put together yourself. So yeah, I'm not invalidating that it could possibly be hormonal or it could possibly be gut health related, but let's explore some of these lower hanging fruit items first. And then once we've done that for four or six months straight to build these foundational habits, then we can kick the tires and look under the hood a little bit further if we need to. I
0: actually just had the same conversation from a devil's advocate standpoint, because I am the world's best devil's advocate.
1: We love it. Say we that it.
0: Even if it is gut health, hormones, et cetera, I guarantee what you'll find after you work with an individual on their habits, their structure, giving them nutritional education, and they've been compliant, suddenly those gut health issues, hormone issues, sleep issues, mood issues, they seem to disappear. They seem to disappear without you paying any specific attention to them. Because at the core of all of these issues is eating more whole foods, strength training, Prioritizing protein, fruits and vegetables, stress resilience, sleep.
1: That's not sexy, man. That's not not. sexy.
0: (laughs) It's not. And when when you're trying to position yourself as uh, a solution provider, because ultimately Instagram marketing and social media marketing and stuff like that is about, I am the person who can solve your problems. And I always find it interesting that people want a complex problem because it alleviates the accountability that they feel that a simple problem is one that they couldn't solve on their own.
1: Yeah, totally. That's, that's, that's such a resounding point. It's like by saying it's stuff like gut health or hormones, it immediately places this massive issue into the, into their field of vision, which is the best scapegoat in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh my God, I can't do this because I'm broken. It's like, well, no, you have this issue potentially, But why don't we try some of these more holistic measures first? I guarantee you'll start to feel better than a couple of weeks just by implementing some of these very simple tactics. And oh, by the way, as a human adult, this is probably how you should be behaving anyway, just to be the most productive and whole self, as opposed to somebody who's just dragging ass through life and waiting for it to be over at some point. You know, the amount of, and like what you were saying before we started about your mom being super high functional. It's so sad to me that we live in such a world now that accepts and places such low standards on people. You know what I mean? Like, 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 if you look back historically, even 50s, 60s, 70s, all across the world, our politicians were being held to a greater standard. Our food supply was being held to a greater standard. Humans and employees were being held to a greater standard. Kids were being held to a greater standard. And now we live, we live in this very, I call it a chicken shit narrative of just like, it's okay to be okay. And while I think, yes, every once in a while, can we have some grace and and Absolutely. pull the foot off the gas pedal a little bit? Of course. Like, I'm not saying like be militant and perfect 90, you know, 95, 98% of the time, most people would be fine at 80 or 85% of the time. Most of the time, right? Like you and I obviously are going to be held to a, a higher standard because our goals and our desires are a bit greater than most average people. But I think that by lowering the bar, we're doing a disservice to our entire community. I
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And and I find myself, whenever I have conversations with other coaches with whom I resonate so much, it's like I come back to conversations that I've had with the people that we ultimately want to serve. So the person that jumped, I had a conversation with a gentleman at the gym the other day um, who said in jest, he was like, I'm going to be on a diet for the rest of my life. Cause I can't eat like normal people. And within the context of, I don't want to divulge too much to give away his, his identity. But my response to him was, well, if you're going to be on a diet for the rest of your life, doesn't that just mean that you, that's the way you eat. It's no longer a diet. And he was like, he's like shocked that I would say that. And then, you know, I caveated it with, you know, I know who you are and I know that you also don't want to live like a normal person. So you're going to need to eat the way someone who you want to achieve, who who someone you want to be would eat. So even, you know, I like to reference books. So in Atomic Habits, James Clear likes to talk about adopt the habits of the person you wish to be. So instead of saying, you know, I'm going to do X Y and Z, it's like no, well I'm a runner. So a runner runs every day. So if you adopt the identity. So in this person I was like, if you want to be a high functioning person, if you want to be jacked, strong, tanned, you're going to have to do the things that a jacked, strong, tanned dude would want to do. You're going to meal prep. You're going to eat your protein. You're going to train hard, which you already do. Like you said, like on Saturdays, Liv and I take the day off. We don't do anything fu- like anything fancy. We enjoy a meal together or go to an event of some kind and we turn off because not everyone can have their foot on the gas 24 seven. We both compete. So there's times when we do have our foot on the gas 24 seven, but you need that pressure release valve. Um, and so I kind of want to, I want to pivot a little bit because I think this plays really well into like, can you tell me a little bit about how you got into coaching like, what, what's your story? How did Four Weeks to the Beach come about?
1: Uh, you, 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 I'm sure you met Allie Gilbert while you were there because she was yeah, on the yeah. panel with you. Yeah. So just a quick funny story about her. So I've known Allie for about 15 years. We're from Stanford, Connecticut together. So oh, that's cool. where I'm from. Yeah. So I, I was actually in finance, and she was a trainer at New York Sports Club at the time. Okay. So total career pivots. And then she started going down the road of, like, being a golf expert. So she went through, like, TPI and stuff like that. And Greenwich, Connecticut, which is – the highest concentration of billionaires per square mile anywhere in the world it's oh. it's it's one of the ones with wealth i mean the pepsi ceo lived there the JetBlue ceo lived there like all the ceos of all the major companies because it was a subset of new york metro gotcha it was about 45 minutes away from new york city so here she is she's a trainer working with mostly guys as this little tiny blonde girl mm-hmm. and i'm still in my careers in finance which basically meant i was a professional drug user and partier um (laughs) with a handsome paycheck that i never saw a dime of because i would spend it every single fucking weekend um but i was always a gym rat like i grew up in high school i my whole thing was like i just want to be appealing to women so let me do the thing that i think is going to make me appealing to women which at the time was let me start playing football so i can lift weights with the football guys because they're the most attractive jack people in our school and that's who the women gravitate towards so i was a shit football player i'm not a very good athlete by any means hence my achilles tear um but i just naturally was very good at lifting weights because lifting weights required some level of aptitude but then just a lot of grit right like if you suck at football you suck at football like you're just not going to get much better at football unless you become better at the skill set of football but at lifting weights. As long as you show up and keep going through the reps and the motions, you'll get better at it at some point. And as right. long as you got that heart to get uncomfortable, I always had the heart to get uncomfortable. So I just fell in love with it. And I was lucky enough to have really good strength coaches who really professed the idea of proper biomechanics and stuff like that. And that led me to start going down this path of self education. And back then, it, it, we didn't have Instagram or TikTok or anything else. So we were actually reading, we were buying magazines. Uh, animalpack.com was like my oh, favorite yeah. website ever. Because they were posting workouts, you know, five or six times uh, every few years that they would just have. And you can still go on their website today and get awesome workouts for free. For sure. And, you know, we were doing our own research. We bought the Arnold Encyclopedia. We would go through every muscle magazine and rip out pages of it and just stick them on our walls. And that's how we learned. And there was a level of curiosity that today's generation doesn't have. Because they're being spoon-fed information versus being able to go seek it out themselves.
0: I'm gonna put it back
1: on you on that one. But okay, keep going. Okay. No, it's yeah, yeah table that one. so I uh, you know, being a Russian immigrant in America, my parents kind of always had this dream of me going to college. I guess I that was just my natural progression. So I went into college and I went into finance and I, you know, immediately came out of the gate making sixty grand a year. But again, over the years of just being in that really toxic, party filled high pressure environment, I just didn't do very well with it because I I'm somebody who you know, it was blanketing a lot of the demons. I was dealing with my own issues in the wrong possible way. I was self-medicating constantly. I was trying to numb out and never really face my problems. I was using drugs and alcohol to do that with and constantly in this party environment to just forget about the shit that I was shitty at. Um, I But I was always focused on nutrition because I knew it, it, it perpetuated the physique that made me feel comfortable in my skin because for me, it was always about vanity. And then I always wanted to maintain some semblance of physical fitness because, again, it was all physique driven. Um, and then I became that authority figure in the in the office. Like when people were ordering lunch, they were asking me what they should order. If people were going to the gym after work, they were asking me what they should do. And then I realized, I'm like, okay, cool. There's something here. I don't want to be in finance forever. I'm not good at this. And this is gonna, probably going to be why I die. So I... I the universe gave me a sign in 2012 and I got laid off and I got a severance package and I spent the next three months at a coffee shop in Jersey, just reading the NASM book and got certified. got my first gym job at a big box gym called Equinox, which is a very high, high ticket brand. And I became within three months, I was in the top five of their training crew just because what I do on Instagram is what I did back then on the floor, just offering perspective and offering food for thought and being helpful. And then that just, spiraled into a more formal career. I spent basically 12 years training people in person, uh either at their house or at a facility. And then I moved from Connecticut to California in 2021 because I was kind of at a place in my life where I needed a change. And that's when I went fully remote because I had no choice but to. Uh, and that's kind of what just what led me to being more of an online coach than an in-person coach.
0: Where'd the handle come from?
1: Four weeks to the beach. So back to the story with Ali. As Allie started to rise in the ranks of fitness, because she, she her trajectory was amazing. One of the I I I shared that name four weeks to the beach just because it came out of my head one day and it sounded catchy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Allie, I'm going to change my Instagram handle to Four Weeks to the Beach. She's like, That's fucking stupid. Nobody's going to like that. That's 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 dumb. That's awful. I would rethink that. And I'm like, You know what? I feel strongly and passionate about this. I'm going to keep it. And I did. And and you know, forty two thousand followers later that I, people will stop. I've, I've been stopped at airports and yeah. like, are you four? are you four weeks to the beach? Like it's gotten to that point where like people don't even know my name, which oh, yeah. Andrew codes can't constantly yells at me for that. He's like, you need to brand yourself with your name. So people associate your name to your brand versus the brand to you. And I'm like, I don't care it's, whether it's a ROM, whether it's four weeks to the beach, people are still getting the information that they need. That's my mission.
0: Oh, for sure. I, I thought it was so the reason I thought it was funny is like, it's literally the antithesis of what you do. Exactly. It's it's the complete opposite of the information that you put out. So it's like, I remember actually seeing your Instagram account. And I was like, this is not a, the type of guy I want to be following. And then I meet you in person like, okay,
1: what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, I I find it so, the, I, the theory behind the name is that I want everybody in this world to get to a place of such a good level of maintenance behavior that they're never more than four or six weeks away from their ideal physique or ideal body type to where they're feeling comfortable.
0: See, that makes fucking sense to me, but you can't put at, I want you to be four
1: to six weeks away. (laughs) No, no, that'd be a little long. Um, But Hey, if I ever do write a book, I think that'd be a really clever book title. Sounds like you need to write a book. I know I've already discussed how to do that. Um there's people much smarter than me that have been trying to direct me into those it's funny. I I'm surrounded by some of the best people in this business and how slow I move compared to everybody else is astonishing. Like every like I've come up with people that have out, outlapped me 10 times. They make more money than me, they have more clients than I do, they have a bigger online presence than me. They you know, every every part and parcel of this business they're superseding me. I move at a very organic grassroots pace. Like I install systems very slowly. I adopt technology very slowly and begrudgingly. Um, I stay very, very true to my, to my mantras and my, and my values tightly because I I really do believe that they're the cornerstone of what makes me function. Um, You know, I I don't ever plan on having assistant coaches just Mm -hmm. because I don't really want to scale to that size. Like I don't, I don't want those $50,000 a month problems. Um, I have a very low appetite for money, so for me, as long as I can pay my bills and get on a plane every few months to get to where I need to go, I'm good, man. I don't plan on you know, marriage whatever. I don't want kids. Like I have a very low appetite for for things, so my money gets made and then gets put right back into education or into my business, and that's really all I do.
0: But that speaks to that speaks to a level of awareness of self to a very very high degree. I have the pleasure of speaking with a lot of very young coaches about business development. And number one, most of them have no idea where they want to go with their business. They have no no semblance of alignment between their actual actions and the mission that they're trying to achieve. They also feel in a lot of cases, like money is what they're after, but what they're truly after is impact. So what you're essentially saying when you're going through, like, you know, I have a low appetite for money. I don't want assistant coaches. like, I want to be the one impacting the people that I work with. And I don't need other people around me to do that. And when you're growing in a way that is completely aligned with your mission, so if the mission is centered around impact, you're going to move a little bit slower. And that's totally okay because if you want to go long, move slow. Yep. Right. And that's like, I see how many Instagram influencers can you point out that have like started businesses scaled like crazy and then disappeared.
1: The list no, is it very, very long. I mean, dude, I, I sat at a conference in 2019. It was right after I got certified for uh, NCI level one. And there was these three girls in front of you. Remember shreds? Oh yeah. So they were all, with all three girls sitting in front of me were shreds models and they were like 500,000 followers, 700,000 followers. One of them have like a million and a half. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, I'm sitting behind stardom. That's how my brain thought back then. I'm like, well, you have this many followers. That equals this level of success. I start talking to them. One of them is living at home with their parents. Another one is living in a tiny studio apartment that she can barely afford. And then the other one has two sugar daddies that paid for all of her bills. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm like, so these are people who I'm looking at as and imagining them to be uber successful because they paint their their life to be this amazing thing where they're on private jets and they're they're standing in front of these cars and they're with these people. Meanwhile, they don't have a pot to piss and they have no product. They have no skill set. And all they are is monetizing their look and their physique, which is going to run out at some point anyway. Mm-hmm. So that really was the day that I figured out that I don't give a shit how many followers I have. What I care about is, is my content and is my voice being heard by the people that I'm speaking to? And are they getting something out of it? Because if you look back, I started my Instagram account in 2015, same bullshit, shirtless pictures, laying on the ground, sweaty with some fucking thirst trap bullshit. It was like, if I look back now, it's, it's, it's like so cringy, I don't even want to see it because all I cared about was, is somebody going to pay attention to me? And now, whether a post of mine gets a thousand likes or a post of mine gets 50 likes, I'm like, well, I did my job that day. I showed up the way that I promised to show up. If that resonated, great. If it didn't, I'll try better the next time.
0: Well, it gives you information on what people actually want to hear about and actually what helps them. And that, you know, to have a vision that is so clearly defined and an outcome that is so clearly defined, you know exactly what your actions need to be on a day-to-day basis in order to check the boxes. And one of the things that I always like to say is like, my KPIs are not money. They're, they're not revenue. They are unsolicited testimonials from clients. Like I get a, you know, a check-in that says, Paul, you know, I'll use Olivia for his his example. She got a testimonial from a client yesterday that she was like, Hey, I know this isn't part of my check-in, but I want to say that I'm enjoying training more than I ever have. And the amount of joy I get from working with you far surpasses what I imagined. And like when I get stuff like that, that like I have goosebumps talking about it because that's what lights my fire. That's why
1: I do stuff. And I was, Paul, you have to immediately throw it on social media so the rest of the world can see it. Immediately. Otherwise it doesn't count
0: exactly no i i do screenshot them but i save them for myself because as you and i both know there's days where you feel completely inadequate and that you're not helping anybody and that's when i'll revisit those screenshots in that album that i've saved for myself and say you know what you are making a difference
1: and i wish i wish more coaches did that instead of plastering them on their social media to try to get people to put eyeballs on them and see this is how effective i am um Like, that level of humility is so rare, and I think that's why you and I get along and we'll continue to get along, because at the end of the day, like, humility is such a lost art, and I I get it. Like, we live in a time where you can get rich and important so fast that it's hard, because when I was 23, 24, and I was getting thrown money at me, I was a fucking massive douchebag because I didn't know how to handle that, and only experience and time will teach you that. And so...
0: I mean, and let's, let's be pragmatic here. I mean, if you are marketing a business, you have to show evidence of your success. You have to show evidence that you can do what you need to do, but doing so in a way that highlights the individual's commitment to that success rather than your role in it.
1: That's the ticket. Well, yeah, because all my clients will, you know, most of the time, if they have a good experience, Let's just put it this way. Every client of mine has a good experience with me because I create a, an environment that's at least enjoyable. And that's mm-hmm. like what you'll see if you come to my event in March. I don't care if you learn nothing leaving there, but I, I want you to have a good time. For sure. like to me, what makes life memorable or what makes people want to work with other people is the experience and the feeling that they get because of that interaction. Like, let's be honest. I know this is going to be hard to hear for some coaches out there, but maybe 15 or 20 percent of your clients will get results and maybe you're a much better coach than I am but let's but for, at least for me because i work with more gen pop people who tend to be very short term and just kind of in it for 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 the wrong reasons i have some people that are lifers they've been with me for 3 years and they're phenomenal they've gone through multiple phases they've seen different body structures and they're fantastic and then i have people that sign up for 3 months and then a week and i don't hear from them and it's over So most people, on average, will not get the results that they want because they're not willing to stay in it for long enough to get those results. You know, you and I have been doing this for years. That's why we're successful. That's why I've been able to build businesses, physiques, whatever. But most people are not functioning at that level. So if you were going to hinge all of your success on that little tiny pool of successful clients, you would feel like a failure on a daily basis and you wouldn't really have much to show for it. But I let my clients do the talking like I let them post and I just reshare their stuff if I need to, because that because I want them to be proud of the work that they're doing. And half the time, it's really more repairing their relationship with food, repairing their relationship with the training process, teaching them how to get into the gym and be autonomous and just having them have some level of confidence that they didn't have before. And I always tell my clients, like, I don't give a fuck if you lose weight. I really don't. I don't I don't go to bed at night with that level of, of pressure on whether you lost weight or not what i care about is that when you step on the scale tomorrow morning you don't get that little pit in your stomach that you normally did like when you can step on that scale mm-hmm. and know that there's no emotional response to that number then i've done my job you can leave that day and i'd be the happiest fucking coach on the planet
0: i love that and that's not a kpi that you can measure in a bank account Mm-mm.
1: and I can i'm put- probably i've I've lost money because of it let's <laughs> I've lost money because. Well, of-
0: and I think, and I think as your business has grown, it's grown as a function of you getting more people to do that. It hasn't yeah. grown It hasn't grown as a function of you putting more money into paid ads or you, you know, doing all of these other non-organic growth strategies.
1: Um, I did my first paid ad over the weekend. Really? Yeah. So when we were at Swiss, I don't know if you saw any of the marketing, but I was, I was marketing my event to the people that were at the Swiss event. And then there was another event going on in Orlando called NCS. So I had my, I I hired this guy because of Kavanaugh. I met Mm -hmm. Justin and I are pretty good buddies and he has this marketing person that they hired and he does like geo targeted ads for them. So anybody that's at the conference would see information about the real coaches. I don't think I spent enough money on it. I don't think I did it right. I don't think it was worded right. It was still my first campaign, but it was the first time I ever spent money on marketing. Um, and if, you know, now that you'll be following me and we'll be following each other, you'll see that I I don't even offer coaching more than maybe once or twice a month. Yeah. Like to me, like at some point, like the more I give you, the more you'll try it yourself. And then at some point you'll realize you need that support system. And that's when you'll finally come to me. That's exactly uh, it. You, you, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. You, you add value and you
0: just get people to raise their hand. And eventually yeah. they've raised their hand so many times. They're like. I think Aram is the one who can solve my problem. I'm going to reach out to him for coaching. They're going to click the link in your bio. They're going to go find you. And the 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 question that I would have like or actually let's let's jump back to, you know, we talked about yeah. new new athletes are spoon-fed information so they lack curiosity. So again, devil's advocate. They are a function of their environment. We as the older generation are the ones that have shaped that environment. I don't believe that these people are lazy. I don't think that they are, you know, ill-natured in any way. What I do think is that because they have no sense of delayed gratification and they're constantly being inundated with what's the best or what's optimal, Mm. (laughs) they refuse to do anything unless it is the best. And what ends up happening is because nothing is the best, they see that as failure, and then they end up doing nothing.
1: Yeah, I think you just—I think you just summarized the fitness industry in two sentences.
0: Yeah, and that I actually—I recorded a reel the other day about it. I'm going to post it probably today, but uh, I really think, like, I keep hearing, especially in the education field, like education is a big passion of mine and, and proliferating new information or, or or old information in a new way is something that i find really fascinating and i think the there's a few things that really need to be there for education to be effective the, the first one being context as we discussed earlier right so Research and evidence is all contextually dependent. It's a framework. It's malleable. It's not set in stone. There is no right or wrong. And so the the concept of what's optimal isn't actually what's best. Optimal is conflated with best. Optimal is what's realistic. What's optimal for me is not going to be what's optimal for my father. Right, totally. But we're both playing the same deck of cards. And then compound that with immediate gratification and results. Well, if it's not going to get them immediate results right away, they don't want to do it because that's what they're expecting. That's what they're being spoon fed. So we have to do a better job. And I think this weekend was a phenomenal example of that. Of You would think that if you got all of these big personalities and famous people into four rooms, that there would be so much Dissent and like drama, and there was literally none.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I was, and I had even messaged Ken afterwards, and I said, "Listen, I, uh I go to a lot of these things. I probably go to three to four events a year at least." Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's two. It, I events serve as twofold for me. I know I'm not going to receive any, you know bulletproof new information that I've never heard before. Right. But I go there to connect, you know, obviously it leads me to things like this. That's number one priority for me. And then what it does is it opens up the, the floodgates for ideas. So basically it allows me to kind of open up my mind and, and create new things. It makes me a little bit more creative being in that environment. And then all, and then the tertiary part is I I enjoy being around us, like people like us. And I don't, it is. And I don't get a lot of that. So it allows me to socialize with people that I see and connect with. And it allows me, it's, it's my way of disconnecting and unplugging from the world that I don't really resonate with. Um. So what I told Ken was, I don't, I go to a lot of these events and a lot of times there are some pretty big celebrity, t- like I've been to events where like there was Alan Aragon and lane Norton and Holly Baxter and all these big names on Instagram. And what I always find is that they're all very human. And the problem, the problem with a lot of people that attend these events is they're they they they're drawn to the celebrity versus the knowledge base of that individual. So my whole thing is, is like when I saw Lane Norton, I didn't want to take a picture with Lane Norton. I wanted to ask him about reverse dieting. Mm-hmm. When I saw Holly Baxter, I didn't want to take a picture with Holly Baxter. I wanted to ask her, well, what are, what are her best methods of working with women who are struggling with fat loss? Like, let me pick their brain and their experience level. And I don't need to post on Instagram that I just met Lane Norton to then raise my own celebrity. I don't care. That's not what I'm there for. But a lot of people go to these events and it's like a photo opportunity. And like, listen, I get it. Like if Denzel Washington walked into the room, you'd believe Mm -hmm. I'd be the first, like I'd be the first person asking for an autograph and having a picture with him because he's my favorite person of all time. But when Lane Norton leaves that conference or when Stan Efforting left Swiss nobody on the streets of Columbus, Ohio, knew who those people were. Right. Nobody. Like if they, if if Stan walked up and down that main road where all those restaurants were, people have no idea. Maybe one out of 10 people might know who he is. And I think that, unfortunately, Instagram has created more celebrity and more influence than it has created a platform of education because it's easy to get caught up in that and it's easy to become that person because that's what the audience you're speaking to is now expecting of you mm-hmm. so i i i got a lot of faith back in our industry being at that event like i met juji mufu mm-hmm. um John, i guess great talked, to, guy. talked to him for 20 minutes fucking unbelievable sweet well-spoken soft-spoken normal dude we talked about his bicep tear we we, we i loved how playful he was and all of this stuff on stage just a very normal down-to-earth guy you know, I've had I've had the pleasure of, of doing a podcast with Dave Tate, who's you know a godfather in our industry, normal Amazing. dude. And what I keep realizing is that it's not the older generation that is swinging into this influencer bracket. It's really more of the younger generation. Unfortunately, it's being swept up by it. I think anybody that's like 35 plus that's been in this business for 5, 10, 15 plus years, they don't care about the celebrity aspect of it. They're gonna make their money. They probably have already made their money. And now that's why I love Elite FTS's slogan of live, learn, and pass on. Like that's really what it's all about because we sat in those seats. We struggled with our imposter syndrome. We didn't think we were very good as coaches. And when we go to these events, what we realize is that we already have the tools. Like we're good coaches. We know what we're doing. We're validating that we're that we're smart all we're really missing every once in a while is just that level of, of validation. And sometimes that happens externally. That's fine too.
0: Yeah. I I was honestly a bit disappointed when, well I was very disappointed when I heard that they're thinking of canceling Swiss in the future because they couldn't sell enough tickets to make money. And it really goes to show like the power of social media to influence how quote unquote real the information that you're getting is. And you know, this year I didn't have the opportunity to go to as many in-person events because we were traveling for coaching and different things. And Swiss was the first real event that I went to this year. And I could not imagine a world without in-person learning because on-screen learning is not the same.
1: No, I mean, just those conversations that you have in the hallways and Um, and what you'll see, I mean, if you end up coming to Vegas in March, what you'll see is that what I created was I created an experience. Like the education is fantastic. That's what, that's what the ethos of the entire thing is. But to me, like, I want there to be an experience. Like, I don't want the presenters to only be able to be caught for those 30 seconds in the middle of their presentations or in the hallway. I want those presenters to be sitting at lunch and dinner and breakfast with you. I want them to have coffee with you. I want them to have cocktails with you at night. So what I did was I created an environment, which when you buy a ticket to my event, you get all three meals and you get six hours of open bar happy hour. So that's immediately, those are your amenities. Like, and that's why like this year I lost 30 grand on it. Cause it was just fucking too expensive. And I only sold 150 tickets, which I thought wasn't bad for a first year event. Um, you know, this year we're trending. Hopefully we'll break even points around 250. And I'm very transparent with all my attendees. I tell them like, I I'm going to you hat in hand. I I, Not only do I think this event will be valuable valuable for you, but I need you to come because this is going to prevent me from fucking living outside because I'm doing this as a passion project. I'm not doing this as a enterprising money making endeavor. Like I know that my coaching is going to be what makes me my money. What I'm trying to add to the event space and the education space is I'm trying to offer an alternative that people didn't have before. So I want them to have access to speakers. I want them to have access to one another. I want them to not have to run around in their own little tiny clicks throughout the weekend of the event. I want them to branch out and meet other people because you know how it is. You go to these events and you know four or five people and you end up doing all their meals with the same four or five people and you might meet one or two people, but that's it, it's gone. So what we saw this year at the event was you know, in Vegas, round tables, 15, 20 people at each table, people from all walks of life who never met are now leaving as friends. They're leaving with invigorated visions of their business because they just spoke to a business owner who just started out yesterday. Mm -hmm. And this is the pitfalls that she had. And you're just sitting there in this very collaborative environment versus what a lot of times a lot of these events will do is they'll put everything behind a paywall or behind a VIP ticket. So I wanted everybody to be on the same playing field. I I don't pay any of my presenters. And I do that because A, I don't think they need the fucking money. And B, I shouldn't have to incentivize you to spread the message that you have. Like if you have 250 people looking at you, that should be incentive enough. Like that you being on stage and being the authority figure and giving back to this industry. If that's not enough for you, then I don't need you on my stage. Yeah, I love it. And that's... Like I'm
0: glad we are on the topic. And of course, we're gonna we're gonna plug the Real Coaches Summit for sure because I think it's a phenomenal event, even just hearing a little bit about it and then reading uh the landing page on on the internet. And it's it's events like that. Like I left Swiss, you know, and this might sound like an ad for Swiss too, but like I left it's Swiss good. with I sent out I think probably 15 or 20 emails and like 30 DMs to all the people that I met that i connected with and just because those are relationships that need to be fostered and whether or not that leads to collaborations like this or even just if it leads to someone just remembering my name and my face that's good enough for me because if you stop me in the hall or you know i stopped you in the hall i want to make sure that that you know uh that relationships get gets fortified so that in the future when we touch base again like we can connect even deeper and, and and fortify those relationships because I've never left. I've never left an online learning opportunity with my cup full.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a transactional situation because you're getting exactly what you need right. out of it. Right. Like it's just, okay, I'm coming in here. I paid you money for the sideline event. I'm expecting education. I don't really expect much else. And now I'm going to leave with that thing. And that's all I get. Yeah. Um, and I think the inv- and that's not bad. Like I think for guys at our level who've been in this business for a while, like we're starting to look at little tiny chess pieces on the board that other people aren't looking at. Like we have to start to drill down to nuance to enhance our knowledge base of insulin resistance or what happens with GLP one agonist drugs. Like the, like that's how in the weeds you and I need to be now because we've already know- we've learned the broad strokes. So for us, if we're doing mentorships or if we're doing continued education or curriculums or men- or whatever else, we're looking for fine tooth comb stuff information. But events like this, they, while they may be broad from a from a content standpoint, they may not actually be anything we you don't already know. At the end of the day, at worst case scenario, at least we get to meet the people that are delivering that information. And they probably have something deeper that they can offer to us because they've been in the business for longer or they might have a, a, bit a different experience than you and I have. And that will be the way that we can get to dig deeper and connect better.
0: For sure. It's, I, I bring it back to parallel thinking. So there's a few like key things that I think all high performers do. And one of them is parallel thinking. So they can look at something that is maybe completely unrelated to their field, find a common thread there, blend it in and figure out a different way to present information. Um, That's part of the reason why I read so much about psychology or about communication or even politics. Like I listened to a three hour, uh, three hour podcast the other day about the, you know, Israel Palestine situation and listening to the way that the different governments spoke to each other and negotiated and things like that. Everything we do every day is a negotiation with our client. So I just kept thinking about, okay, well, these failures of communications here how do they resemble the failures of communication I've potentially had with Sally or with John, right? Could I change my approach? Could I change my system, my process? You know, how could I improve the way that information is proliferated and the better I'm able to do that. I just see the impact on the people that I work with. So I found for me leaving that event, you know, my notes tab is filled on my phone with just like little thoughts that I had here and there, you know, I'm gonna call some people out though. No one wanted to fucking train with me. Really, dude, I could not get a single person to come to Lifetime and do some arms with me.
1: I mean, that's probably because you didn't. Well, if you had asked, I probably would have asked what time and when because I would have gone. I would have definitely done it on my peg leg. I would have done some arms.
0: I think that's one of the. You weren't around.
1: That's one of the most fun things about like the event i've been to multiple events where like you go into the gym at the hotel and because it's a it's a fitness conference there's like 30 jack people in there and then there's always like the one gen popper who's on the elliptical who's just so scared that we're all in there they're like what is going on are we in prison right now what everybody's jacked everybody's tattooed so
0: friday morning uh i went in to go do my cardio i got up i was doing some work like 5 a.m on my laptop and then i see like a, a line of people going to the fitness center i'm like all right, I better get in there before it gets too busy. And like all at the, the cardio, hotel. Yeah. All the cardio equipment was taken. I ended up having to like do some uphill walking, which I fucking hate. Um, <laughs> and the spin bike, I just alternated between the two. And then on Saturday morning, day two, crickets. Really? Cause everyone had been out like up late at night drinking and stuff like that. So there was no one in the fitness center in the morning.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, well, then. That that just goes to show you that they don't know how to rally. I mean, I spent years of my life in a blacked out cocaine filled haze, still going to the gym at 5 a.m. before my work. Yeah. Because that was the that was the only thing that allowed me to just function and and, and be somewhat proud of myself that I was still a human being. <laughs> Man, you've lived quite the life. Yeah, I I don't regret any of it. Like I talk about this all the time. I don't know. Yeah, you, I just saw I'm your sure. most
0: recent post, yeah.
1: When you were on the when we were on the panel, even Kavanaugh was like, "If I was getting a gift for Rob, I would get him cocaine." I'm like, "Dude, you can't say that shit in public." Granted, I don't ever, I'm not shy about it, and like I still will dabble in recreational drugs because I have an intention and control over them now versus back then I didn't it's like anything else everything in this life is pharmaceutical in nature it's all dose dependent mm-hmm. you eat too much food you get fat you eat not enough food you lose weight you know you drink too much wine you get fucked up and you don't drink enough wine you might not even get a buzz like everything has its dosages and if you understand how to manipulate those dosages whether that's social media time whether that's boundaries with people in your life that are energy suckers versus you know energy fillers That's what I've gotten really good at. And that's what I really teach a lot of my clients is being very specific with your energy and your boundaries with other humans. Because what I've learned is like, you can't have expectations of other people that you have of yourself because they will never meet them. Like you can't expect people to fall into the buckets that you fall into because they're just not that. So if you just keep trying to interact with those types of people in those ways, you're going to get so frustrated and be like, I don't understand, like, why don't they align with me? Well, that's it. Square peg, round hole. Like, keep it moving. Don't keep trying to force it.
0: Yeah, I mean, this might be a little bit overly philosophical, but I live my life without any expectations of anyone. <laughs> I just, I found that
1: you you're know, an, you're a nihilist.
0: No, no, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a realist in the sense that someone else's life is not my responsibility. I can only control what I can control, and, I mean, even with my wife, my expectation is that maybe she'll wake up tomorrow and love me still that's great that's a, because no matter what time. i'm just pleasantly surprised
1: and i uh, wish i wish more people can have that attitude but that that also requires a a high level of of self confidence self awareness and maturity that i think a lot of people aren't willing to to garner
0: no and and i don't also, i like again i don't expect that everyone would live their lives that way but it does help to provide me with a much more internalized locus of control uh, which for me reduces anxiety. But as we discussed earlier in our talk about how you know people can say they have complex problems, well, they've externalized their locus of control. Their complex problem is not their fault. That lowers their anxiety, and they can say, "Well, it's not my fault. I'm I'm overweight because I have gut issues." I take or- that approach. It's like, no, my gut issues are my fault. That means I'm in control to fix them. And now I can take action. So it's just two different ways of looking at the same the same thing. But you mentioned boundaries. And it's something that you know, I think is, is something that I wish I would have had the opportunity to ask the panel. I got the opportunity to talk to Cav about it afterwards. You run a, You run a successful business. You work with a lot of clients. I'm sure you work a lot of hours. How do you, number one, set boundaries? And number two, uphold boundaries between your life and your business?
1: No, I'm bad. I'm very, very client focused and facing. So like every one of my clients, like I know you and I were talking about the, the delineation between like text and email and WhatsApp and all that stuff. I don't have those delineations uh, purely because my program is so hands-on and so immersive and so technologically poor that I'm I'm just very much manual. And I want to hear from my clients because if I know that they're participating, whether it be the most silly questions on the planet, or it could be something that's very specific to them. At least I know that they're an active participant in the program and in their own change. So I allow, I always tell my clients, like, if I don't get back to you within 10 minutes, I'm either asleep. I'm with another client in person or something catastrophically bad has happened to me because or like, like it was weird when I was flying home, my phone just died randomly on the plane. And then I, it was off for a whole day and you have no idea the panic. And it wasn't just because like, oh my god, my phone doesn't work. It was like, oh my god, my clients won't be able to get a response from me, even though they've been promised that they will, and that was my biggest problem. So I immediately, like the second I landed that, I ran right to the Verizon store and I ordered a replacement phone. And then a day later, it just turned back on again. But I don't. I'm bad at this, man. Like Paul, I can't tell you. Like I'm not the model person to ask this type of question to because I don't have boundaries. I work I, and I don't want to say that I work 24 7 365 because let's be honest like when I work in yeah. an office I was there for 12 hours a day but I did maybe two hours of work
0: yeah.
1: when I'm coaching everything's already done like I've delivered the plan then it's just emotional maintenance yep. maintenance and emotional support that's really all I end up being and I coaching. know that like I it's that's what I'm doing is I'm, and I'm is that I'm giving you feedback on training videos which happens in real time And then I'm fielding emotionally charged issues that people are having. Because again, most of my population is women who tend to be disordered eaters, who tend to have body dysmorphia. So I'm having more psychologically driven conversations than I am tactically driven conversations. So if I wasn't that person, if I wasn't delivering on that level of support or availability, then my coaching program is essentially at that point, no different than anybody else's. So I discern myself from the crowd by being as available as I am. At a detriment to my scalability and to my mental health, sometimes. To be quite honest with you,
0: there's a lot to dive into there. Um, because I, my my pushback there would be, I think you could have the same level of impact on your clients, the same level of availability, um, but with more scheduled communication. And that's and I a, I, 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 that's do. A, I do I do how I operate. Okay, I have clients, some formalities. Yeah. Like my clients speak to me almost every single day. Okay. Uh, they just do it through specific mediums. And I only look at those specific mediums at certain times of the day. And that's how I end up budgeting my time accordingly and you know tapering it off. So I think, but here's the thing, you've been able to scale a business to the level that you have doing what you do that's fulfilling to you. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it but if the goal does change and the goal is to scale or the goal is to maybe take on another venture or do something different, you always, that those systems are always in flux. You just always have to look back to like, is this serving me anymore? Maybe not. How do I adapt and optimize quote unquote for what I want to do?
1: Um, yeah. No, I know. I'll be, I'll be transparent with your audience because it's nice to sometimes put numbers on things because I want people to understand what success in this business looks like. So for example, um, I had my best year ever financially from a revenue perspective last year, and it's been growing steadily every single year. I think I hit like, you know, 188,000 last year. Awesome. So like a bad month for me is going to be anywhere between 10 and 12K of revenue. And then a good month for me is something closer to 20. My overreaching, hash passion, like passionate, romantic goal is a bad month being 20 and a good month being 30. And I'm really confident that I could at some point do that as a solopreneur. But I want people listening to really understand the context behind that. I've been in this business for 15 years, and I didn't start seeing start seeing 10K months until a year and a half ago. I, I was having some 10K months here and there when I was a personal trainer, and that was really only during COVID because I was doing all cash. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing people – I was seeing – Five to seven people a day, seven days a week during COVID, because I was I found this facility that let us just train people in the back, and I had so many people that were rapidly looking to work out that they didn't give a shit about any of the mandates. They were just cool. Let's go hammer down, and I made you know I was making twenty five hundred bucks a week in cash, and that was what allowed me to move to California because I had saved up all this money because there was nothing to spend it on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just want the coaches to be very like clear, like you're going to hear numbers like ten k, twenty k, fifty k hundred k a month just understand that with each increase of revenue there's another added stressor it could either be i have more systems in place that i'm paying for because people don't understand the costs that we incur as coaches like we have multiple communication platforms that we're paying for we have email softwares we have texting softwares we have you know food tracking apps and subscriptions that we're paying for so all the you know website fees and um you know graphic designer fees and podcast production fees so we have a lot of cost so out of that twelve or fifteen thousand dollars that I bring in every month, how much am I really keeping for myself? Well, I don't even know, to be honest with you, because I'm shitty at doing my own books. And, you know, as long as I could sweep five or six hundred bucks from my business checking account into my personal to pay for my groceries and go get a meal out once a week, I consider myself to be doing something right as long as the business account stays net positive.
0: Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned like the 100K a month kind of thing. And whenever I'm always quick to remind people that if you are a solopreneur making 100K a month doing coaching, you are probably selling 90K a month in marketing.
1: I don't even know how it's possible. Like you'd have to have such a high volume of low ticket shit that would just be churn and burn. That there's exactly. no relationship, there's no relationship, there's no support. There's Like if I had an app, again, a lot of coaches now have apps where mm-hmm. they just sell their workouts. It, it's not a bad way to do it if you figure out a way to be very good on the back end to support those individuals who bought the app. But I think the expectation needs to be made abundantly clear when somebody purchases a product or a service from you on what exactly that they're getting. Absolutely. A lot of times, you know, a lot of times I'll have a... like. All my clients, I would say almost all of my clients have come to me because of a poor relationship they've had with a coach in the past. The third question. I, I mean, I, very rarely do I get somebody that comes to me that's never had a coach ever. It's, it's maybe I would say one out of 10 or two out of 10 of my clients that come to me have never had a coach. But most of them they either bought a program, bought an app, been with a coach previously, and they just didn't get what they needed out of it. And 99 out of 100 times, it's because they thought they were getting X, but they ended up getting Y instead. I'm really glad you said that because I totally, I totally agree.
0: Expectations need to be set in stone as to what you're delivering from the client, but also what you expect from that client in return. And once that's all out on the table, all you got to do is deliver and there's never any conflicts.
1: Nope. And that's why, like when I I opened up a group coaching option, that's 275 bucks a month. And even like at my group coaching option, I'm still shitty at setting boundaries, so. when I initially designed it, I was like, you can only send me five form check videos a week. And I've never once had somebody only send me five a week. It's more like five a day. Mm-hmm. And there's be there'll be days where I'm reviewing 70 to a hundred form check videos. And I'm just sitting there being like, well, fuck, this is never going to end. But that's what I signed up my, myself up for because I never said no in the first place. When that right. first 10, 10 shot video came through, I was like, cool. I'll just review it. Because if I don't, you know, like, Yes, the expectation on a written level, yes, was there that you send me five, but at the end of the day, do I want? I want to expedite that learning curve. So if somebody can send me all of their training videos and I can get back to all of them because I have the time, well, why not? Because if they can get better at all their lifts quicker, their likelihood of results is going to go up. So. I think, uh, yes, I'm very clear about the deliverables that the clients owe me so that I can do my job effectively. But I'm also very, very clear about what their expectation of results is going to be. And I'm also very, very clear with them about what it is that I'm capable of doing and how fast I'm able to do it.
0: Which is, I mean, and again, it comes down to the way that you want to operate your business is going to govern the decisions you make on a day-to-day basis. So if you base what you want to do on the impact and the way you feel that you can make impact is by having this process, I can give her.
1: I'm, I'm trying. I mean, I, I, I know that if I ever do want to get to that like 20 to 30 bracket, I think it'll get there organically without really much pushback. Cause as I, cause I still have some legacy clients that are with me at like $195 a month the price point. And as those people phase out and more of the group people and more of the one on one people show up, it'll naturally start to kind of, you know, it's like you lose one at 195, you get one at 275. So you're, now you're net positive 65 bucks a month, right? Well, so it's like, it, it's just, it's this very slow, painstaking uphill battle, but I'm okay with that.
0: At the end of the day, we're still dealing with a time for money problem. So if you only have a certain mm-hmm. amount of time and you charge a certain amount of money, you cap yourself in your revenue generation per month. And I mean, to be fair this isn't a conversation that gets had very often but it definitely needs to because if you want to make the money that you want to make simply from uh okay let's just ballpark that it takes you 2 hours a month to coach a client and you want to and you want to work 40 hours a week so 40 hours times 4 is 120 hours a month divided by 2 per client that's 80 clients. So if you wanna make, let's say 16,000 a month, you you need to charge $200 a client.
1: Yeah, at 80 clients, like you said. At 80 clients.
0: Yep. So if that's your baseline, you can play with two things. You can play with how much money you charge per hour, which in this instance would be $100 an hour. Or you could play with how long it actually takes you to coach your clients, which comes down to deliverables, systems, processes, things like that. My entire goal with my mentorship when it comes to scaling revenue is how can we preserve the service quality that you want, administer it in the least amount of time possible? So coach a client in less time. So my goal for everyone is, can you coach a client in an hour to an hour and 15 minutes a month? Because then if you're coaching 80 clients at 200 bucks, you just made $16,000 working 20 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And you think about, well, if I have 20 more hours of the week, how many more clients could I use? Well, you could double the amount of clients you could work with and make $36,000 or $32,000 a month. So that's, that's part of what I do. But that whenever we're talking about time for money, comes down to dollar per hour and it comes down to number of clients served. And there will be a point where you cannot work faster and preserve the service quality. And that is an absolute truth. Like I definitely cannot work faster. (laughs) But unless I want to, unless I, I want to give up the true reason why I do this, which is impact, I can't work faster. And because of the population that I work with or choose to target, which is mostly powerlifters or strength athletes in that 25 to 30, well, 20 to 35, they're not going to pay more than $300 a month for training or $300 a month for coaching or 500 for both. So I truly have capped that level of business for the population that I'm working with. And I've heard arguments to the contrary that says, if someone wants to do it, they will pay for it. And yes, there are coaches who charge more than me, but at the end of the day, this is where I'm happy with, and there still is room to scale in terms of, you know, right now I charge monthly. Maybe I switch to biweekly. If I'm done being biweekly, I charge in Canadian dollars. So maybe I switch to USD. Those both will scale my income, but there's always a plan. There's always the wheels turning in the background, and so I think it's great for people to hear that, you know, even someone like yourself at 42,000 followers, like that's a, that's a pretty significant amount of eyes on what you're doing. And you're at a point in your business where you are looking to scale, looking to see where, what opportunities are available to you, and it's not always about changing something because what you're doing is working and you're making the impact that you're making. You don't have to change; you just have to do it longer.
1: Yeah, I mean, my plan—I don't. I'm sure you've—you've you've heard of Jill Coleman. I have. Yeah. A, yeah So she's a business coach that I've I've gotten to know pretty well. And she's got a very simple system. It's called the Ascension model. So basically you have multiple product streams of differing values and it essentially, it's kind of an opportunity to either upsell or downsell. So you have kind of the highest ticket, lowest, highest barrier to entry. That's your, that's your number one thing, but that's not your number one source of revenue. Then you have kind of that mid tier product that's accessible to most people, And that's going to be your your signature offer. And then below that is kind of more of a DIY type of a thing where you can just kind of create some intellectual property, have it be housed somewhere that you can just kind of sell that without ever really ever managing it. That's the final piece of the puzzle for me. It's that DIY product that I haven't quite yet created, whether it's B2C or B2B. When I get, and here's the thing, and this is what I want to be really transparent with people. I'm really good at wasting time. Like I'm... Oh, as almost as much as I was a great drug user, I was, I'm also very good at procrastinating. And unfortunately for me, until my back is up against the wall and I have to act and I have to produce something like when I'm, when I'm asked to speak at something and I'm they're like, I need a presentation by Wednesday and they give me three months to do it. I'm going to wait till Tuesday, the day before I have to submit it to finish it. Cause that's just how I'm wired. I don't know. I'm, it sucks. I, I don't like it, but I'm also not willing to do anything about it. That's, that's the key. And then what I look like when you were talking about having the dollar per hour, the hour spent per client, I always look at it as how many hours of the day am I not actually working? So how many hours of the day am I going to the gym? Am I scrolling through Instagram to respond to people or getting back to people on, in, in social media, creating my memes? talking to my parents, reaching out, doing the stuff that's not work-related? How many hours of the day am I doing that? And can I be allocating that time into creating that coursework, those materials, those DIY courses? I If I was to spend the next two weeks with all of my available downtime into creating that content, it would be done. I promise you it would be done. And I would have a third product offering and I would start to have passive income that would start to alleviate some of my financial burden. But because I'm a stubborn piece of shit that doesn't want to do it yet, and I, I have convinced myself that I'm so good at fulfillment and client-facing interaction that that's my focus. That's exactly the narrative I've told myself. And that's exactly where I'll be stuck.
0: I'm going to have a story time. You ready for this? So,
1: <laughs> I was
0: living in Calgary, Alberta. Beautiful place. Actually thinking about moving back with Olivia soon. Um, it, I was working as a, as a disability rehab consultant for an insurance company, and I was building my business. Going through a pretty dark time in my life. The relationship I was in was floundering. And I said, you know what? I'm doing well in my business. I'm going to buy a new truck. So I went and I bought a new truck, lifted it, put 22s, like fucking sick ass truck. And then I looked at my car payment every month. And I'm like, just scraping by.
1: Well, well how much was
0: it? Uh, it was like 512 biweekly.
1: That's oh bi-weekly bi-weekly you were paying for a thousand dollars for for something with four tires
0: on it because i rolled in negative equity from my previous car into this new one Jeez. so a stupid move again dark time in my life retail therapy
1: yeah
0: i've been working hard i deserve a new truck
1: cocaine was cheaper you just never found it i would have loved it too much i know <laughs> probably probably um
0: But you know what period of time was the biggest boost to my business? Right after I bought that truck. I scaled so... I probably doubled my revenue in three months. Back against the wall? Back against the wall. And there is a lot to be said for artificially creating those back against the wall situations. And I'm not telling you to go spend a thousand bucks a month on a truck. No. Um, But I am telling you that there are these artificial ways to put your back against the wall. And I'll share with you one that I use all the time. I will publicly say that
1: I'm going to do something. Oh, and then hold yourself to that standard.
0: So I'll come out on Instagram, October 15th, we're launching a new course. This is what it's going to be about. Full CEU accreditation. Look out for it. Now, if I don't do that, I'm a piece of shit.
1: (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Yeah,
0: So, and there are different ways to go about it, but I love that you said back against the wall uh, because I think it's a, it's a phenomenal motivator and some of your best work gets done. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Cause I know that you are busy and need to waste more time doing other things. To, yeah. <laughs> I got a couple quick hit questions for you. Yeah. Number one, do you crack an egg on the corner of the pan or on a flat surface?
1: Uh, I use a corner, usually a bowl. Okay. Oh, yeah, so you and mix not, and pour. I'm not good at it though, because and I'm only doing one whole egg at the at the current period of time because my fats are pretty low. So exactly. I'm doing one, one egg and a lot of egg beaters or egg whites. And then uh yeah. It's side and then typically it's a disaster and I'm picking shells out.
0: Side and disaster. Okay. Uh one album that you could listen to with no
1: skips. Soundgarden super unknown. That's not even a question.
0: Okay. Five dinner guests, dead or alive. U plus five.
1: Uh, Winston Churchill, because okay. he's fucking hysterical and very popular. Super, yeah, su- super effective. I mean, I would just love to watch him start drinking at like eight a.m. Um, Denzel Washington for sure. Uh, Michael Jordan. Two more. Jim Carrey. Okay, because I I do think he was. I think he still is brilliant. Canadian and love it. And Russell brand. Okay. It's a pretty interesting table. Yeah. Last, last
0: question. Who is one person that you would like to see on this podcast? The caveat
1: being you have to help me get them on. Mm, to help coaches. Cause that's who you speak to more often than not. Uh, do you know who Jared Hamilton is? Jared Hamilton. No, I don't he's a coach out of illinois uh deals a lot with disordered eating and uh, and emotional eating and body dysmorphia but he has a unbel- he's got probably he's he has a, a business that i would love to emulate and he's grown very organically but in a very good way and he's and he's very very humble but also is probably one of the most successful coaches out there not only just from an impact standpoint but also financially and how he structures his business and he's a friend of mine he, he'd be on your podcast tomorrow if you asked him Make it happen,
0: Aram. Thank you so much for your time today. Been a pleasure getting to know you, man. I'm I'm excited for uh, you know this friendship moving forward and collaborating on some future stuff.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, hopefully, we can get you the hell out of Canada and get you down to warmer weather in Vegas.
0: Well, we're uh, we're actually going to be in Houston for two months, uh, January fifteenth to March fifteenth. So. We're postponing our honeymoon after we get married in January, and then we're just going to spend two months in, in the States.
1: That's not a bad idea, because Houston in January is actually a really good time to be there. And I've heard it's very,
0: very hot any other time.
1: Oh, yeah. Like 6 a.m., you're playing golf, you're switching shirts already. Yeah, fuck that. It's So I, I kind of wish I'd met you before you, moved, you decided on Houston, because I feel like San Diego would be a lot better climate for you. Yeah. Next time. And you have, and you have the desert and the mountains and the beach all within an hour of each other.
0: Hey, listen, there's twelve months out of the year.
1: That's true. And if you keep <laughs> going the way you're, if you keep going the way you're going, you might own a property somewhere else too.
0: That's the plan. That's the plan, dude. Thank you so much for your time. Anyone, if you need uh, to find Aram, his links are going to be in the show notes. And please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and we'll catch you on the next one.